quick, uh, how many of us enjoy awkward and uncomfortable moments? Yeah. Why don't we do a show of hands to make it uncomfortable? I was thinking about this. Uh, as we're doing this plugged-in series, it's, it's this whole thing of me trying to make this argument biblically for us to plug into people, to plug into groups, ministries. We've just, we're launching small groups this week. We've had men's ministries just kicked off. Ladies, Lakeview Ladies just kicked off. And try and encourage people to plug in. And yet, the problem is there's always these awkward things. And if you've spent any time with me, I'm really good at awkward. Like, I'm the guy who misses the handshake when you're going for a fist bump. In fact, I was thinking about this morning. I remember meeting, meeting someone who didn't have a thumb. And as I went in for the handshake, I went right past the hand all the way up to the elbow. But instead of, like, stopping, I just shook her elbow. Like, I, I didn't know what to do, Right? Or that time you lean in to hug somebody and instead of you go the wrong way and you almost end up kissing, right? The point is, the point is where there's people, there's going to be a little bit of awkward and uncomfortable. It just happens. And as we're digging into plugging in, uh, that's one thing I have to say. We, we are always going to have moments that are tough. And actually, as we dig into it, little kind of like a tidbit of what we're getting into, the, the conversation we're digging into today, it can be a little bit awkward. It can be a little bit uncomfortable as we get into it. But real quick, we've covered uh, digging into community and the, the strength that it brings uh, when you're with other people, the support it brings. Last week, we talked about patience, and patience is good for things that are uncomfortable. And this week is, is no different. But let me look at our series passage for today, John 17, 20 through 21. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. This is, this is Jesus' prayer. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And there's so much to unpack in this passage, but the most interesting thing that Jesus prays is that we would be connected so that the world would see him and what he's doing in the world through how we interact with each other. And the message we bring is a message of love, which is significant, which leads me to the series thesis, which says being connected becomes the greatest reflection of God's design for us. So today, part three, humility. Being with people brings humility. Perhaps it's the awkward thing we say or the awkward thing they say. It's that uncomfortable moment that we might have in an interaction, whether that's professional or personal, whether that's family or friend, we all have them. And I'm hoping we're going to look at the healthy aspect of it today, and, and it's the kind that actually does provide a great amount of freedom and support. So what we're looking at is what it, what it truly means to be open and real with people. And that's kind of where it starts getting awkward, right? when we start opening up and talking about something that we keep buried on the inside. And I thought, no better way to introduce this than talking about renovations and construction. And uh, it's not awkward for everybody, but in my experience, uh, we move into a house, and I have a wife who believes she's Joanna Gaines, and she's pretty good at it, actually. But she'll, she'll make a point and say, this wall needs to come out, or this light needs to be changed, or I want seven lights in this room instead of two. And then she looks at me and I go, 
okay, we'll figure this out. But in the process of doing construction, I've worked on some houses that when you start pulling the walls back or you start pulling the lights out and you find some stuff that's a little scary. In fact, early on in our marriage, I used to trust the panel that was labeled that if you turn off this switch, there's no longer electricity going to this room. I don't believe that anymore. <laughs> like, I'm a really jumpy person. Like, if you walk around a corner and stop in front of me and then you turn around and say, ah, you'll scare me. And I, I didn't always startle that easy, but after doing enough electrical jobs where I got shocked, I'm pretty nervous. But in this house, this last one we did in Mill Creek, there was so much bad wiring that when, you, when we bought the house, it looked fine. It was a light, but I pulled the light off and there's exposed wires and there's like things taped together. And when you, when you look at that, you go like, okay, the, it maybe worked for a minute, but the problem with this kind of construction and this kind of work is it leads to serious issues down the road. If you know anything about construction, you can hide something for a bit, but ultimately, long-term long in time is going to prove that it doesn't work. We actually have an inspector who goes to our church, and he can vouch for that. He doesn't come check out my stuff, though. <laughs> the thing is, trying to cover up bad construction is a bad idea. Now, for those of you guys who don't relate to construction, where I'm going with this is maybe you've been in an experience in your life where there's something that feels wrong on the inside and you've struggled with it and you haven't liked it, perhaps maybe when you're younger you cheated on a test, right? And how that made you feel, that something under the surface wasn't quite right. Maybe you sold a car that you knew some things were wrong and you just hoped it drove off the property okay and broke down in a week or two, right? And you didn't feel real good about that. Or maybe you told like a half-truth and hoping to get away with something. Like, we've all done a, a little bit of this. And the point is, there's something in your life that maybe doesn't fit properly. It's not exactly feeling right. And yet, for whatever reason, we try to cover it up. Right? We get into that place where we do that. And the thing about this is, is that what we're talking about is dealing with this mess that we all have. It's called the sin mess. It's, it's this thing where we step out and we do something that we know is wrong, but we try to cover it up. And I will point out, there is actually a pretty big difference between construction and sin mess, renovation and sin mess. And we're going to look at this a couple times today. And we'll just scratch the surface here is that when it comes to renovation, okay, you can't fix a problem until you know it is there, right? You have to start tearing the walls out to find out what's behind it. You know, oh, that's, that's a load-bearing beam that they took out the support for. Like, you, you don't know that until you start digging out with renovation. With sin messes, it's a little bit different. Is you won't fix a problem until you understand the problem. We're going to look at this a little bit more in depth through this message, but when it comes to community, uh, when we carry these sin messes, sometimes we just don't want to admit to them, we don't want to share them, and we certainly don't want others to know that we have them, so we attempt to carry them on our own, dealing with them in, in our own way without help or support. It's like, I got this, I don't need anybody's help, I might be struggling with this, that, or the other, or I did something wrong and I'm not sharing this with anybody. And the problem with this lifestyle is simply this, point number one. We can never be fully accepted if we are never fully known. When you think about that, I can present myself to someone, what I want them to see, and they will probably accept that piece of me, but there's always this piece that's hanging back that people don't see. We don't people, 
We don't give people the chance to accept us, right? We're worried that there's going to be this awkward, awkward piece of we present what we want them to see and what we want them to accept of us, but then we say this lie to ourselves quite often that says, if they really knew me, they would not accept me. And unfortunately, there's so many people feel this way, and there's, there's a good reason for it, and that's because there's been a lot of bad community in our lives, right? Where, where we see that we've maybe been vulnerable and then people have judged us, right? We've been in a place where, where we maybe were a little bit too real and then all of a sudden got uncomfortable. Or we've been in that small group where somebody was maybe a little too real the very first time we met them, and they spill all their guts and we're like, oh, I didn't sign on for this, Right? We've had those moments. Now, I have to take a side comment for, for those of us who identify with Jesus and call ourselves Christians that when we're the ones acting in this place of judgment towards someone else, we've completely missed the heart of Jesus. And it really doesn't matter what they've done. When we're sitting in the place of judgment as Christians, we've completely missed the heart of Jesus. Because the interesting thing with point number one, we can never be fully accepted if we're never fully known, that's with human beings. Because with Jesus, we are fully known and we are fully accepted. Right? This, this is kind of the, the Bible verse that, that I feel like all of today hinges around. This is Jesus kind of talking about how he sees us. And this is John chapter 8, 34 through 36. He says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins, that's sin messes, is a slave of sin. And a slave is not a permanent member of the family. But a son is part of a family forever. Pretty significant statement there, forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. So our sin messes, being caught up in this place of becoming our identity, causes us to be a slave to them. We're controlled by them. We hide from people knowing what they are. And yet Jesus says, if I've set you free, that stuff is done with. How long? Forever. It's pretty significant. Jesus accepts and the example he gives us when he commands us is to love. And what he's going for is for us to recognize that the sin has been paid for. We're all awkward. We're all uncomfortable. We all have issues. We all have sin messes. And yet he's going like, no, wait a second. I paid for that. Now, I'm going to take a little sidestep here because I think this is a significant piece of freedom and joy when it comes to relationship with Jesus. Because I've been asked, well, Phil, what about sin? Where do we go with that? Does, does that mean we can go throughout our life if our sin is paid for? We can just go and sin how we want, flippantly not caring and just doing whatever? Well, the truth of the matter is if Jesus died for all sins, and the answer is yes. You can do whatever you want. It's been paid for. The problem with that let me paint a picture for you. There's a woman who's married to this man, and this woman, she cooks, she cleans, she keeps the house in perfect order. She works really hard to make sure that the children are, are happy and comfortable. She makes sure that whatever TV shows the husband wants to watch, he can do that. She takes care of them in every way. And this husband has this amazing wife, and yet all he does, he comes home, he yells at her, says, bring me my food, bring me my beer, that kind of stuff. And he's just grouchy, watching TV, ignores her and rejects her and doesn't care about her at all. What would we call a man like that? Probably call that man a jerk. He doesn't appreciate the woman that he has. He doesn't treat her well. He doesn't respect her. He doesn't deserve her. What a jerk. 
in the same sense, if he sees what he has and appreciates it, he's going to react and engage and be in love with her and take care of her. So when it comes to this question of us as Christians asking, did Jesus pay for all of my sins so I can do whatever I want? Well, yeah, but does that mean you need to go live your life like a jerk? No, and I would actually argue to say that if you don't truly understand what he's doing and has done for you in your life, then it's easy to fall into the place where you're like that husband who doesn't care. But when you do understand that you are truly free, it changes how you react and interact with him. You engage on a completely different level. So if we understand what Jesus has done, we engage with him and what is important to him. This is a both-and series, right? On one side, it's what we should experience in a healthy Christ-centered community, what we should experience. But on the other side, which is this part, it's what we should be as a Christ-centered community and who we should uh, invite in should feel this special interaction of acceptance and love, right? It's a both-and because we are free. You know, we've, we've learned about strength, patience, today's humility, next week is serving. But that said, even when the community is healthy and, and it's the way it should be, it can still be really uncomfortable to engage with them because we have this piece of fear that we aren't accepted or they will not truly care about us because we've experienced the problem of judgment. We've experienced this, this pain where somebody has hurt us over and over and over and we just have trust issues. We have fear issues. We're uncomfortable with that. And because of this, we also make this statement. It's like, you know what? I'm also a sinner, and I've got these issues that I just don't feel like I'm going to fit in. Well, the first thing I want to say to you is in a community that is Christ-centered, we are all sinners here. So that's, I guess, why I'm comfortable hanging out with you, because I'm uncomfortable and awkward, but in some senses, probably you are too, Right? When it comes to sin, we are all sinners here. That's the first thing I want to say. The second is point number two. Hiding sin handicaps us. It does not protect us. It does not protect us. And it might feel safe to control your narrative when you interact with people to only give them a piece of you. But then, like I said, you will never be truly accepted. You will be missing out on a piece of who they are and who you could be with them. I like... I like the concept of, um, this is a Benjamin Franklin quote from 1755, uh, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. I like the concept of this because this is kind of our relationships. I'm going to engage with you, but I'm only going to give you a little bit of me because I'm a sinner and I don't think you would truly accept me if you knew who I was, Right? And in that case, I'm, I'm giving myself a little bit of temporary safety, but am I missing out on the depth that our relationship could go to if I opened up? You can't have both freedom and safety. For motorcycle drivers in Utah, we still have the freedom to choose whether we wear a helmet or not. Right? Is a helmet a safe thing to wear? Yeah. But do I like having the freedom to choose to wear it or not? Yes. Kind of like... I loved it when I moved here to Utah, and you didn't have to wear a seatbelt. Now you do. I've lost that freedom of choice. Is wearing a seatbelt a good idea? Yes. Do I wear a seatbelt? Yes. But do I like having the choice myself? Yes. And they took it away, because I can't have both freedom and safety. So when you're entering into a relationship, and you're engaging into a relationship as Christ has desired for us, you can't have both freedom and safety. 
you can feel safe by controlling who you are and not letting people know that you're a sinner and giving them this presentation of who you want them to think you will be. Or you can have freedom because through Christ you are truly free and your sins are truly forgiven and all of your sins are paid for. The point I'm trying to make is that if you only give a little bit of yourselves to this experience in the long run, you will be missing out. Kind of a verse that I feel like helps us understand a little bit about this and bear with me. It's Luke 18, uh, the second half of verse 14 where Jesus says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you know that safety is actually protecting us and not allowing vulnerability and humility to enter into our relationships? Right? And essentially it's like I want to control my narrative. I want to control who I am. There's a bit of we could say pride or insecurity or a combination of the two that are putting us in a place where I am, I'm going to be in control, make sure I'm protected, right? And it unintentionally, in that moment, I believe that's kind of a piece of exalting ourselves. We're not humbling ourselves. We're putting ourselves in a place where we're protected and you can't touch. Maybe it's a little stretch of that verse, but I like the second half where it says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Surrendering and releasing my narrative to my community, even though it's scary, right? Jesus speaks of this bringing us closer to our original design, closer to our purpose, and closer to our creator. And now is where we get really weird and awkward because there is a biblical practice that I think is important when you're plugging into community, and it's the word confession. Whoa. This is, this is the part where as a pastor I'm supposed to make fists and start pounding on the pulpit and tell you all about your sin stuff and then you come tell me about it and I go like, now give me a couple of Hail Marys, right? Do this, do this, and it'll be fixed. Unfortunately, confession, for a lot of us, we lean into kind of this religious experience with the word. But let me remind you that Jesus has set us free with the gospel and maybe if he set us free with the gospel, confession means something different under the gospel. The real quick misconceptions of confession is that we need a high priest or holy man to go share this with, right? Why? Because we grab onto the scale of righteousness when it comes to confession. If you remember, the scale of righteousness is, I've got this much bad, I need this much good to weigh it out so that I can get into heaven. Now that's when we're in control of our sin and our salvation. Well, Jesus takes that scale away because it's all good because he's paid the price. Pretty significant. So if he's done that, then we don't need to go to a high priest to balance out the good and bad, which is kind of a flawed system if you think about it because I'm going to go and say to this priest, here's my confession, here's what I did. He's going to like do, do this and this and this and this and it'll be okay. You can do a few more of those until you come back next time, right? Essentially like this weird hall pass experience. And for whatever reason, I cannot figure out that, that I, don't, I just don't see Jesus in that world, in that realm with the God who loves and surrenders his life and sacrifices for us, I don't see him giving that back to us and saying, all right, now you guys be in charge of your salvation because what I did wasn't enough. Like, I just don't, I don't see that. So confession means something different. Let's look at what the Bible says about it. First of all, Proverbs 28, 13. People who concern or conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Well, what do we know about concealed sins? They eat us away from the inside out, right? Bitterness, for example. You're bitter towards someone. It's like you drink the poison and hope somebody else gets hurt, 
Sin eats at, eats at us from the inside out. So when we have concealed sins, it says they will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, what will happen? They will receive mercy. We sang several songs today that talked about chains. Chains, the idea here is that you're imprisoned by sin, which is a spiritual reality for us. In our lives, we are all sinners. When we, when we get caught up in this thing that we think we can handle and control our sins, we are completely chained. So when we sing songs about breaking free from the chains, that's what this is about. Breaking free from sin. Receiving mercy. And it's kind of like this surprise. Like I, back to the construction world, it's when you're tearing into a house and you pull a piece of drywall off and there's this random treasure that somebody hid in the wall that's actually kind of neat. Like a big wad of cash would be sweet. That's never happened to me, but that would be really neat. I, I would imagine in that moment I would be super excited. Here I'm thinking I've got all this work to do with this house. When I pull it open, boom, there's all this cash. That's really exciting. Pretty rare. Almost probably not going to happen because who sticks a bunch of cash in a wall? Aside from a criminal, maybe. Maybe you shouldn't want that money anyways. But the point is, back with Jesus, this is what happened. It's like every time we go to Jesus, we tear a piece of drywall off, and there's not more work, but there's this big wad of cash. He's, he's like, Jesus is here. You get to receive mercy. Guess what? You confess your sins. Oh, by the way, you're forgiven. It's, it's, it's this amazing surprise every single time, right? Continuing, connecting Luke 8, 14, 18, 14, and uh, this particular verse, Proverbs three thirty four says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Calling us into this place of understanding that there's this need for humility. So already we have this thing of confessing, turning our sins over to God, but being humble enough to do it. Because pride actually, actually is a thing that keeps us from doing that most of the time. So, grace is given to the humble, and why? It's because we're forgiven. There's a story I have to share with you that is really significant to me. Because as I was digging into confession, I was chatting with a pastor friend from the Northwest, and he shared this really interesting story of a teenage high school girl in her senior year, she got pregnant. And she was kind of like, oh, what do I do? Well, she decided to go and share that with her pastor. And he's like, oh, what's your plan? She said, decided she was going to keep the baby. He says, all right, how can we love and support you? He said, well, I think I just need to share it. He's like, do you think you maybe want to share it with other people? Some other folks, some leaders in the church? She's like, why would I want to do that? I don't know, it seems like a, a good idea. You know, biblically, we're told to confess these issues in our lives. And, and her fear is, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to say about me? Are they going to shun me out of the church? And unfortunately, there is a bit of a precedent for churches doing this. Where somebody makes a mistake and it's like, oh, you don't belong here. What did I say about that earlier? That's when we miss the heart of Jesus when we do that. In this case, this is weird. Like, we won't do this at our church. She, she came and went before the entire church at a business meeting, and she shared what happened. And what she got at the end of that was a hug from every single person, love and support. And now she's a teenage girl who's about to have a baby, who's got a whole family of people coming around her and helping her through a very difficult time, instead of trying to hold that to herself. And if she had kept it to herself, eventually she'd start showing, and then what happens? People start talking, which is a note that I want to share with you. 
Confession is the end of gossip and the beginning of support. Right? I've got this issue, and I share it, and now I have support. See, Jesus forgives and releases us from the weight when we share. It brings light to the darkness. The need, however, with this, when it comes to confession, is this. We need community. Community is required for confession. You can't confess to yourself, and you can't support yourself. This is the push towards plugging into a community, plugging into a group of people, being willing to be vulnerable enough to share something. Some, some verses that go along with this, the benefits, James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. One of the things I love about our community is that we do spend time in prayer. And maybe you've not taken advantage of it, but every single Sunday morning, our prayer team is over here, and if you need prayer, they're willing to pray for you. And sometimes a lot of us, we're, we're uncomfortable with doing that because of exactly what we talked about. Like, I can't share everything. I'm uncomfortable with that. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not pushing you to share everything today. I'm hoping that this is encouraging you to look at the need for community to help you be released from the chains, to experience Jesus in a different way. Continuing, 1 John 1, 9 says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So we're healed, forgiven, and cleansed. And it's by taking this, this concept of uncomfortable awkwardness and putting it aside and saying, Jesus has paid the price, and this community I'm with has paid, has, understands that he's paid that, and now I have the opportunity to plug in and be accepted. And there's two audiences here, right? There's the one of us who confessed and the one who was being confessed to. And if we're the ones being confessed to, we have, we have completely missed the heart of Jesus if we stand in judgment. We stand in support. What does that support look like? It's going to look different in every scenario. But this is what Jesus has called us to do. Confession is so important that, you know, worldly people who aren't, aren't even lined up with Jesus... Like Mahatma Gandhi says this, confession of errors is like a broom which sweeps away the dirt and leaves the surface brighter and clearer. I feel stronger for confession. And the sad thing about Gandhi is that he says he loves Jesus, he does, doesn't love his Christians. Because we've made a mistake. And I guess that's my, my confession. I've been there. I made people feel uncomfortable because I stand on my soapbox and do this I'm better than you moment. And that's really humbling to admit that I've done that, but we've all done that at some point, and that's what we have to own is what does it mean to represent Jesus? For those football fans out here as we get closer to Super Bowl, Lou Holtz says this, sacrifice, discipline, and prayer are essential. We gain strength through God's word. We receive grace from the sacrament, and when we fumble due to sin, and it is going to happen, or, and it's going to happen, confession puts us back on the field because it frees us from the chains. I'm going to invite the band up as I'm wrapping up here. But let's go back to the idea of renovation and sin messes that we started today with. Because when it comes to renovation, we can't fix a problem till you know it is there. Well, this is the cool thing is with Jesus, he's the renovator, not people. 
In fact, Jesus knows what he needs to work on. He knows when he needs to work on. And this is where the Holy Spirit convicts us. And in fact, when I try to become somebody who's stopping my own sin, it becomes more of a strength religion behavior. But when I'm weak, I can't follow through with it. Versus when Jesus does the renovations, he makes me new from the inside out. And at Lakeview, we trust the process in which God changes us from the inside out. And that's the neat thing. If you want to see God work, let him be the one who convicts you to shape that piece of you from the inside. Now, sin messes, we won't fix a problem until we understand the problem. This is, this, kind of, this is kind of where I like to go with this. When it comes to confession, perhaps the problem is not actually the sin, but instead we don't actually realize or believe that we are truly free. Like when I'm confessing a sin, I'm worried how it's going to be received. But what if I believed, and I truly believed in the freedom that Jesus gave me, that when I confess the sin... I already know it's been paid for. I already know that he has paid the price for it. And just maybe confession is the one way for us to engage with that freedom. So it's not about me trying to be more righteous or to make something right. I've been made right already. It's a moment for me to bring it to light, release it, break the chains free, and acknowledge and engage with a Savior who's paid the price for me. This is just a note for this. Confession leads to God-centered humility, and this leads us to freedom. So our lives are brought together and lived in humility with each other. It allows us to represent Christ and Christ be very present in our lives. And the bottom line for today is when we confess, this is a simple piece of it. You're not, you're not going to the hospital to get well. You've been made well by your Savior. We acknowledge our Savior's sacrifice, and experience his gift of life. Let me conclude with this verse, Psalm, Psalm 32.5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to share what you've been laying on my heart, God, to be vulnerable to realize that we're all sinners here. And to, to be challenged as believers, Lord, that when somebody comes before us, that not to be judging them and pushing them down, but to welcome them and represent you well. Help us to be loving. Help us to be vulnerable. Help us to plug into you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.